This episode of the Boz and Bovril podcast was originally broadcast on the Celtic Rumours TV YouTube channel. Hello and welcome to Celtic Rumours TV, the Boz and Bovril podcast with your host Mark, Chris and myself Paul. On today's show, Mark will run through a few shout-outs. Chris will run through this weekly rumours. We'll also have ex-footballer David Ford, known on the form as Iceman. Barry will give us an insight into what it was like to be, to be a professional footballer. Uh, we'll also be answering some questions from the line charts in relation to Barry's career. So let's get on to the show. Mark, off to you. Thanks very much. Just like to thank everybody for joining us tonight, uh, all the subscribers, we're at nearly 320 now. If you have not subscribed, then please do so. I'd like to give Tim a lawyer shout out, he's still really struggling to fully recover after Covid. So He's a good egg, is Tim, so best wishes to him. And all the best to Malika, still stuck out there in Spain. And ROH is fighting that another hell of a tough battle. And finally, Steph Boy for the forum, son, Ben, had an operation in his leg yesterday. He's in hospital now recovering for that. So if all is on here, get well soon, Ben. Hail, hail. So now we're going to move to the weekly rumours. Bestie, can you take us through some rumours of the day, please? <clears throat> yeah, thanks, Paul. Uh, welcome to the show, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the Rumour Roundup. Uh, now, just before... We actually get on to the rumour roundup. I just want to give a personal shout out myself to uh, two lads, Ryan and Kieran, down in Newcastle upon Tyne. Uh, two proud Irish lads who are Celtic through and through. Guys, welcome to the show. And you're also very welcome to comment or ask a question on the right side of the screen, and we'll try and pick it up. If either of you ever want to come on live, just let us know in advance, and we'll make it happen for you. Uh, also, a massive happy hoopy birthday to Ryan Son Owen. Owen had his first birthday yesterday, so happy birthday, Owen. Trust me, your dad is guiding you on the right foot, following past kids, so make sure you listen to him. Welcome, guys. Uh, so on we go. As I say in every podcast, rumours are rumours. Believe nothing, and more importantly, bet nothing until you satisfy yourself you're doing the right thing. Now, I'm sure there are a few punters who have lumped heavy on the Eddie Howe over the last five or six days of the boogies thinking it was a certainty, but just might be having second thoughts about it now. Are they right to be worried, or is it in the bag? Well, we'll come on to that shortly. Uh, Don Mackay, as we all know, is coming on Monday, 19th of April. He's going to work along with Peter Lawwell until the 1st of July when he takes over the the CEO role. Um, the uh, manager's position, well, is it Eddie Howe or whoever? You know, a lot of fans are irritated, aren't they? You know, some say it's not going to happen. Others think he's waiting on a better offer from down south. Plenty believe he wants his own director of football. And I've heard some say it's because his family don't want to come to Scotland, among other stories. Not least the one that Crystal Palace have allegedly thrown their hat into the ring for his services in the last couple of days. So all you guys that are listening, think about this. Would Eddie Howe be better suited to South London than he would be to Glasgow? Would he feel more comfortable at a club that thinks survival in the league is as good as actually winning something? Other journalists and pundits are suggesting that the deal will happen with High, and all they're really doing is both sides are simply taking their time and making sure they each have a, a clear understanding of the way it's going to work. So by all means, 
Keep an eye on the media headlines, but don't be getting carried away with them. Now, to add further fuel to the vacant managerial fire, another voice has been making noise today about Eddie Howe, and that is our old friend Frank McAvenny. Now, Frank's controversial at times, we all know that. But, excuse me, he says he has been told that the problem is Richard Hughes. It's not that Celtic don't want Hughes. It's more a case of Eddie Howe does want him, but Hughes himself is reluctant to bring his children up to live in Glasgow. We hear all these stories, and every story that we hear, guys, please remember that Celtic Football Club didn't write any of them. Now, some fans will say, well, it's about time Celtic did come out with a story about what they're doing. So here's something for you all to think about. Should the club stick with their plan to get Eddie Howe no matter how long it takes, or should they move on? Is Roy Keane's name going to come back into the frame again? Are the previous runners in the race perking their ears and getting ready to show their hand? Or is it all much ado about nothing and Eddie Howe is actually coming? So let us know what you think. You're among friends, guys. Get the thoughts off your chest. Um, moving on to player rumours, not really much happening there. Obviously, we've said before, Celtic are unlikely to buy any players until a new manager is confirmed. However, one story that has popped up suggests that if it is Eddie High, then his first call will be to Carlo Ancelotti at Everton about getting Josh King as a replacement for Hudson Edward, who we most, most of us expect to move on in the summer unless something happens. Now, in all fairness... I don't think that's going to happen, even if Howe does come in. King's wages at Everton are reported to be significantly higher than any any of our top earners. So here's a question. In future, and if we really do want to make an impact in Europe, should we be prepared as a club to pay higher wages than we already do if it means we're getting higher quality players? Could we afford to do it? Give us your thoughts on those questions, guys. Uh, a name that popped up just a couple of days ago, if you remember when Neil Lennon was still in charge, which seems like an eternity uh, ago now, but um, just a short number of weeks ago, uh, young Josh Doig up at Hibs, Celtic were reported to be interested in that. Now, we don't know if there was any real mileage in that, but uh, apparently Leicester have now uh, shown an interest in him. Uh, but a player who is on our books and could make an impact on the squad is long as young uh, Leo Hjeld. Now, young Hjeld, he's the 17-year-old Norwegian defender who we signed from Rosenborg last year, and he's been on loan at Ross County since January. He's played eight games for them, scored his first senior goal. But, however, he's reported to be interested in Mr. Hassenhutl down at Southampton. Now, big Yoki Hughes at the Staggies rates the youngster very highly, and he reckons that the lad won't be too far away from Celtic's first team when he does return to Parkhead. Uh, moving on, uh, Lee Griffiths, it was mentioned on the forum and even on the last podcast, Mark had mentioned it, that his contract is going to finish at the end of the season with uh, Celtic having a one-year option. But if they want to exercise that, they must do it for the 30th of April. So that's three weeks away from now. Now, Grish divides opinion among fans. So here's a question. Should the club take up the option for another season or should we say goodbye? Talk to us. Let us know how you feel about Griff staying or going. Has he blown his chances or can he redeem himself next season if he stays? Uh, on the rumours, the last mention goes to Jack Hendry. It's always reassuring when you, when you can get a comment direct from a player instead of a so-called reliable source. Uh, Hendry has confirmed himself that his agent and Ustend are trying to get the deal completed with Celtic. 
Now, remember, we have no negotiating power in this deal apart from perhaps how the money is paid. And we can't insist that he comes back. The price was set before he went on loan to the Belgian side. So it looks like he's going to be away very soon. So in hindsight, was this a deal of mistake by Celtic? Did we ship Jack Henry out too early? So let us know what you think about his exit. And as far as rumours are concerned, that's less it for now. There's no doubt news stories will be breaking every hour, but in the meantime, it's back to Paul. So we just have Honey from Will I Am Seven that uh, Eddie Howe is what waiting for, as long as he's not mocking us about. Just kind of two things to put that really is he waiting for Crystal Palace or Newcastle to actually come in for him? Well, I you think know, is he waiting for is he yeah. waiting for an offer from them, like you know, to see what his other options are? I, th- I think the story is that, you know, I mean, look, at the end of the day, his agent wouldn't be doing his job properly if he wasn't keeping him aware of any options that might become oh, available. Oh, yeah, of course, of course, yeah. You know, uh, we don't know for sure whether um, Newcastle or Crystal Palace genuinely and sincerely and officially have made an approach for him. But look, the bottom line is, until he signs up and we see him at Celtic Park, then there's always going to be the possibility that another club could make a move. So um, we just have to wait and see what happens with that. So has it been a push? So like has, has Celtic actually put a contract to Eddie Howe? And he's he's waiting to make that decision. Nobody knows. Really, do they? <coughs> I mean, again, it's all just speculation. And yeah, we actually don't know what's going on. Like we don't know if Celtic actually did put an offer to Eddie Howe. We can take the fact that Desmond met Eddie Howe. Mm-hmm. Who else? We don't know. Who else has he met? Because I read another thing there, I know that he's assisting. These negotiations, they're at a level I don't understand. I couldn't negotiate a contract for a football manager. Just mm-hmm. cut the to and fro and the, the intricacies of what they must get into in detail in these contracts. I, I don't think Eddie Howe has stolen anybody. If he has the Dermot Desmond once, he's quite entitled to take his time and speak to his family and that about it. A lot of fans expected Celtic to announce Eddie Howe and they'd start on Monday morning and things like that. Yeah. That was never yeah. going to happen. Never going to happen. There will, be other, your... there will be other teams that are interested in Howe. There's no doubt about that. But we've got to put towards him a package that blows them out of the water. Not financially, but in football terms, as we sell them the points we've got, come and win, win trophies with Celtic, help nurture players. Prove yourself in Europe and you'll get a big, yeah. bigger job than England and Crystal Palace in four, three, four years' time. I think that, uh, certainly someone like Eddie Howe, guys, it's worth bearing in mind that <clears throat> he's not waiting on a fiver to put into his electric meter. You know, he has his money made. He he could probably never work again in his life and be very, very comfortable. So whilst money won't be nothing as part of it, it'll, it'll be obviously part of the negotiations. But it really depends, I think, on how keen Howe is to uh, push himself and uh, to see what he is really capable of achieving and whether he can manage at a club that's playing. And look, at the end of the day, you're still playing in front of 60,000 fans at home games um, when the law allows it. So uh, I think a big, you know, and to be honest, I don't think Howe is looking for an easy touch. I genuinely think, you know, he's too young. If he was 20 or 25 years older, you'd say, well, maybe he just wants to, you know, uh, still be involved, but not do anything too demanding. I think Eddie Howe's under no illusions that if he comes to Celtic, it's going to be a massive challenge. 
not just on the field, but off the field as well. It's a whole new life to adapt to. And I guess he has to weigh up, you know, does he feel as if he has the energy and the enthusiasm and the desire to do that? Yeah, just to relate to what you're saying there, Terence Casey's just saying, I think Eddie Howe is looking at every aspect of the club. You know, it's not, as you said there, Chris, like it's not just the first team. It's actually way through the football and system at the club. Maybe he's actually looking through that. Do we have a proper academy here? Or, that shouldn't you be, know, that shouldn't be, has, that should be nothing to do with him. Mm-hmm. So, as I said, that's, it's folk higher up the chain than Eddie Howe. need to be making new decisions about the academy and that. Maybe that's why he's pushing or even recommending that guy to come in as a director of football because he knows at club Celtic size and with their resources, he knows that that guy could do a job for Celtic after what he'd done for Bournemouth. But what's your thoughts on that then? Like, like in, in Eddie Howe wanting to pick his own director of football. Say Eddie Howe then does get an offer in two years' time, he leaves Celtic, then he's going to want his own director of football, his own coach just after go again. And we're going to be back to square one then that we were with Rogers when he left. He took almost the coaching staff with him as well, only for John Kennedy wanted to stay at that time. Yeah, you know? That's just what we're reading in the papers on you know, social media. I don't know that how it's forcing that. For all we know, Dermot Desmond's asked him if you get anybody you could recommend. I mean, that's true. Four weeks ago, everybody was certain it was going to be that Harkin for Man City. Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. Eddie Howe's demanding this and Eddie Howe's demanding that. It's not just hearsay. Maybe he has recommended him, maybe he has said he would be able to do a job. Maybe he is forcing it, I don't know, but I don't. it doesn't really make much sense for him to interfere at that level before he's even got in the door. That's, that, that's true. Like, do you never heard of a manager kind of recommending the kind of a director of football? Director of football kind of be mostly hired by the club to suit the club. Yeah, absolutely, Paul, because yeah, as it has been quoted before, <clears throat> and I think we've all read it, uh, you know, the last thing a club needs is a director of football that goes with the manager um, or a director of football that can only work with one manager. The director of football should be an integral part of the overall management of the club, not necessarily um Good, you know, a, a good working relationship with just one man. You know, he has to be someone who's employed by the club, who fits the uh, the the future intentions of the club, and then the manager should come below that. But as Mark said, who knows? Maybe Dermot Desmond has said to Eddie Howe, "What about Richard Hughes? Is he? You know, we're looking to fill that role. You've worked with him. Is he a good guy?" Nobody knows, and everything is speculation. And I think what fans need to do, and I've said it before is be patient. You know, getting frustrated about it is doing nothing but creating negative talk right throughout the fan base, whether it's on our forum or another forum or anywhere else. And it's given it's given an awful lot of the press a huge amount of satisfaction to see it. And all they, they know all they have to do is throw a little bit of fuel on the fire, come out with a headline, how not coming to Celtic, and it's all Celtic's fault. And of course, you're going to have a certain section of the support will say, yeah, our club always mess everything up. Now, okay, they have a bit of a track record of not getting everything right, and you know you have to accept that. But at the same time, fans need to be patient because... All of this frustration is doing nothing, absolutely nothing other than increasing your own blood pressure and making your your life miserable and affecting your family relationships because 
people are there's like a wind up spring. They can't influence. You know, I'm a believer that you get concerned and worried about the things that you can influence. And so, do you think? Do you think they have a plan B, Celtic? If Eddie Howe falls through, is there another manager there that they think they could get if they don't get Eddie Howe? Who knows, Paul? Who knows? You know, that's where Kino comes into the equation again, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Kino, Kino and Duff, and and probably bringing back Robbie Keane as his first signing as well. I'm just throwing out there. I'm just saying it like I actually wouldn't be surprised if Keane got the job and this Eddie Howe thing was never in the thing like that, that Keane was always going to be the number one. And if all comes to all, I think we could end up with John Kenny at the end of the season if he wins the Scottish Cup. No. We never know. No. That's never I'm just saying it. No. No, I can't, I can't say it. And I, I, certainly know, I, I certainly know for sure of one guy who would be very, very disappointed if Eddie Howe doesn't get the gig because he, he whacked a few quid on him to get it. Um, I won't mention Ronan's name on the air, but uh, there you go. So we got one here from Glasgow Rings. Should a director of football not be having an input in who the manager should be instead of the other way? I think we kind of just talked about that. It's not me the other way around, but maybe Eddie Howe Walked with this fellow Richard Hughes. He trusts him. He trusts the players he brings in. Well, in an ideal situation, a director of football is always going to have an input or should have an input into who the manager should be, for the simple reason that the director of football is part of the club. You know, managers come and go. In an ideal scenario, directors of football don't or shouldn't be coming and going. So, uh, yes, it's always, I think any club that has a director of football would normally assume that role, or at least that would be a big part of their remit, would be to get involved in the hiring of managers and so on. So, you know, to have the tail wagging the dog is quite unusual. But again, it's only speculation that, that some fans think that's happening. We don't know if it's happening. Exactly. So I think, look, we, we, we call it there with the manager situation because everyone's in the same boat. We actually don't know what's going on. It's all speculation. All we can do is just read the papers and just wait. Well, exactly. I see just there on the live chat, Dom, uh, Dom Niven saying, what if Eddie Howe is not certain he'll get the job at this point and his agent is keeping his options open if the move to Celtic falls through? Well, like we said earlier, his agent wouldn't be doing his job right if he wasn't doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, right up until the day Eddie Howe would sign a contract with Celtic or with Crystal Palace or Newcastle or Timbuktu Rovers, his his agent is employed to get him the best working conditions and circumstances that he can. So, yes, Dom, you know, it's a, it's a sensible question. Absolutely. But, uh, you know, that's an agent's job is to do that. It's the same way it's, if, if it was the agent of a player. His job is to tout him around as many potential clubs as he can to get the best deal and, and so on. So I just turned out there what what what, best, uh, what Chris said there at the start there, like, if you were Eddie Howe, what would you go for? Would you go for Celtic, a big rebuild, push for the league next season, a chance to prove yourself in Europe and another chance to move to a, a better club than Crystal Palace in the Premier League? Or would you move to Crystal Palace? Fair enough, you might be on better wages or thing. And be in another relegation fight because realistically, that's what Crystal Palace will be in. And again, next season is another relegation fight. One of the choices that Eddie has to make is whether jump on that roundabout English managers that have just called the game for years, like Sam Allardyce and that. They've just went from job to job to job. 
and that's what Eddie Howe needs to watch. He doesn't become. Goes to I don't think Samal. I don't think Sam Aldice will be jumped from job to job because his reputation has gone this year for his plum go down. <laughs> Roy Hodgson, that type of manager, there's these managers yeah, in England. Exactly. Steve Bruce, they always seem to get jobs without actually. Yeah, just going into the jobs, just to go into a job. Isn't it? Yeah. So go from one mid table club to another just for the, over yeah. 20 years and they're always in a job but never actually. It's, a safe, it's kind of a safe option, really, isn't it? It's kind of a safe option for a manager. Just go to a club, you know you're going to keep them mid-table. The, the, the board is happy with you keeping them mid-table. If you're in a relegation fight, they'd be happy to end the season just to stay in the Premier League. And they, they think that is a success. But here's a point for Eddie Howe, like, to go beyond that, really, isn't it? Show what he can do. Rebuild, like Zach same with, with Brendan Rodgers. Rebuild your career, rebuild your reputation. You know? You see, Eddie Howe is going to be in a position, because there is apparently so much work that needs to be done at Celtic. You know, as, Mark, as, as Mark said, you know, that's not all going to be discussed and agreed over a cup of coffee in a hotel in London. You know, there's a huge amount of work involved in finding... In fi- I think the key is that both Celtic and possibly Eddie Howe find common ground because it is important that when they do start working together, that... A knows what is expected of B, and B knows the support they're going to get from A. Because the last thing they want, is you, it's, like, it's, like, it's like any job, it doesn't matter what it is. You know, the last thing you want to do is walk in the door and then find out two days later, oh, I didn't, think, didn't know it was going to be like this. The one thing about Eddie Howe is he, claims to, he, he seems to be a very strategic thinking guy. So why should that not extend to not just to how he deals with players, but how he deals with his own career and any role that he fulfills and the people that he works with. It stands to reason that he would he would adopt that same mentality when trying to organise the circumstances to allow him the best opportunity to be successful. Exactly. So I think, look, we call it with the, the manager situation. We just, I just want to move on to the what you were saying about uh, Lee Griffiths and the squad. Like, we know Lee Griffiths is not going to be the only player we listed that might be leaving at the end of the season. So, what do you think of this thing with Lee Griffiths? Uh, that he's, if he's not offered a contract session by the end of April, he's able to go on a free transfer. Should the club offer him a contract and then maybe sell him or realistically keep him? Or Nobody's saying that contract. The club's planning and selling him, is he? Mm-hmm. Bit, a bit low for the club to get me saying a contract and then turn around and say, right, you can go if we can get a million pounds for you. So, mm-hmm. uh, as I said before, we spoke about his time's up. I was reading, I don't, if Buzz Bombs, I thought he can maybe confirm it. I saw something earlier on and it said he's only scored 24 goals in the last three seasons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. I'm actually surprised, though, you know, that, uh, that the club did that, Mark. You know I mean, that they let this... You know, like we could obviously, as you said, there we could easily get one million for him. Like if the club actually did give him a deal, we say back in December, and then sell him on. Sinclair, Stephen Scott Sinclair. Yeah. Scott Sinclair signed, and it was arranged. I put links up on the forum at the time, and I spoke about this on the forum, and it was oh, Celtic. It was the official Celtic site had the article, delighted to sign him in a four-year deal, and then it came up for an extension, and it turned out that it was actually only a three-year deal with a year's option. So it seems that Celtic have got a habit of doing this. They're announcing players are signed for X amount of years, but if it turns out that the final is an option and it doesn't come to light, okay, it comes near the time when the contract's due to expire. Mm-hmm. I have to say, if it was, if, if, 
if it was up to me, I would be taking Griffiths for the extra year. I genuinely would because a, a new manager could be the difference and Lee Griffiths still has it in his legs to be a top striker for another season if he is in shape to do it, both physically and mentally. Now, you could put it this way. Nobody just knows how that like, would work out. But. You could say like this, like, you know, like the, the way how relaxed things were when they need learning you know, the training and stuff like that. Maybe Griffiths knew he'd get away with not being fit, come back to pre-season, that Nelly wasn't going to punish him that much, really. So maybe he thought that well, under new manager, Griffiths might know, like, if he did come in there, he's going to be out the door with a new manager in place, you know? And for all we know, it may already have been agreed. For all we know, the club may have already told Griffiths, Lee, yeah. you know, you're going to be free to go. I think if he does go, he will go to Aberdeen. Mm-hmm. Was it? Mm-hmm. The person that, that told me, that emailed me, because if you remember, he actually emailed me during the show about it. He did, yeah, yeah. And it was, yeah. But according to him, it came from Lee Griffiths' own mouth that Neil Lennon told him that he wouldn't be getting a new contract or this contract wouldn't be getting extended. So I think, mm-hmm. though, yeah, but with Lennon out of the equation, maybe that changes it. I don't know. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? I, I don't know. I think... Maybe the club actually sees well, like that the fans are actually kind of fed up the way Lee Griffiths' attitude is. Do you know, like how many chances has he got realistically, Chris, with the club? I wanted to sign Griffiths, and I was quite vocal about it at the time. I just didn't. I, I never really liked him as a player, and I didn't really like him as a person. For what, for what I, no, with with the, with the wage he's on, like we could actually go and try to bring in a, a different striker. I cut him the slack, and he has been a good player. He scored us a lot of goals, a lot of important goals, and that. But he's never. Just seem to screw the nut. Mm-hmm. Most players, if they, as they get older, do you think they're going to settle down a bit? Look at Scott Brown. But Griffiths just, he never seemed to actually settle down. As I said, maybe somebody to do with his mental health. I'm not going to sit and talk about somebody's mental yeah. health that I don't personally know. So, But it's just, there was always something just bubbling under the surface with Griffiths. I think, yeah, I think certainly with Griffiths, you see in years to come, uh, when he looks back in hindsight, I think he'll be very regretful that he didn't apply himself the way he should have done because I think he would have been significantly more successful as a player than he has been if he had if he had done so. But you know, listen, we're all we're all geniuses, you know, when it comes to hindsight. And but it's it's. I think why he annoys so many fans is because it's clear that the potential was there and he wasn't making the most of it. Griffin mm-hmm. potential to play in the Premier League and England. Mm-hmm. See, when he was younger, if he'd, as I said, if he'd screwed the nut then, when he was at Wolves, he went to down there. If he'd went down there and played well, screwed the nut and went on, he would have ended up getting a move up to the higher division. Because he's mm-hmm. after that, the Celtic, he can play at a higher level in English Championship. Yeah. After the Bendy River interview, Mark, he went downhill. I think after the Bendy River interview. <laughs> Bendy Water. <laughs> the Bendy Water, yeah, the Bendy Water. Sorry. Well, do you think, it, Paul? Do you think it was the Bendy Water interview that actually finished him mentally? <laughs> yeah. He started to believe in that the earth was flat, and that's when it all went. All these conspiracy theories went into his head. <laughs> well, you see, you don't know because maybe he has spent every minute of every game ever since then actually with it in the back of his mind, wondering maybe he's run around asking opposition defenders if they've heard of it. YouTube videos about YouTube, yeah. 
We've all been getting paranoid in a Halloween and all these yeah. people coming to the I, I, see, I see there, guys, Terence, uh, Terence Casey there saying Griff's his own worst enemy. The guy needs a serious reality check. And maybe leaving Celtic will be it. He has let us down too much. Uh, Terence, I think there's a lot of people would agree with every word you've said. Personally, I just think there's still something in him that he has to give. But I might not be right. That's just my opinion. So I want to put two comments together there, right? There's, there's one from Don Levin and one from Rob McNair. Two of them are quite similar. So Dom says at the end of, end of season, there are going to be quality players out of contract. Don't need to spend big to improve, right? So then Rob Nick says, we need to reduce our squad size, but we could pay higher wages for the right individuals. So we do have a big squad squad with, with, with really average players, that don't come in and actually make a difference in the club. So, like, if we actually sign quality players instead of bigger squads, maybe we, we could actually bring in these better players. Before as well, I've not got a problem with transfer fees at Celtic pay because that there's a limit. There's only so much you can pay. But I'd like to see mm-hmm. pay a wee bit more to, to see like one or two players that are really going to improve the team. I don't see a problem with them getting fifty grand a week. People see mm-hmm. he's unrest in the dressing room. Oh, how do guys at Juventus feel sitting with Ronaldo? When he's Gareth Bale at Spurs is still getting 250 grand a week or something like that. If you're one of the top players, you deserve top wages. So Celtic bringing in a couple of players at a 40-odd grand to 50 grand bracket that's really going to make a difference to the team should be within their capabilities. Especially yeah. the money. Look at the salary Peter Lowell was getting. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I see, I see there, Rob on the live chat, Rob McNair saying Lennon said there was stuff happening behind the scenes which had an impact on your season. Do you know what it was that happened? Unfortunately, Rob, no, we don't know. Um, you know, you hear all these things saying, oh, it's going to come out and maybe it will come out and maybe it was just a lot of nonsense. You know, maybe it was Lennon was having the issues behind the scenes as opposed to the whole club. I don't know either way. I think the French lads caused a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. Everybody was saying that it was Ayer that was really wanting out, but from what I've been told, it wasn't really Ayer. Ayer just would have moved on if there was a decent offer for him at Celtic, except that he would be happy to go. He wasn't pushing it with a Julian and champ, and I don't think Edward was too impressed with didn't sign him with uh, sell him in the summer either. And I think that kind of got into the squad and ate away. And Christie's just, well, I'm not even getting into him again. It just shows um, how professional Ayer was this season. He wanted to leave at the start of the season. He said it, he wanted to leave and things. But he actually put his head down this season and got on with the game. But you had the likes of Encham, you had Julian and Edouard who just fell off the, the bandwagon and just refused to play, basically. For me, you know, you see yeah. the difference in players. For you know? Ayer's been my player of the year. Oh, without doubt. Without doubt, you know, and I actually would, if I was a manager coming in, whoever it may be, like he would be the first person I would try to keep at the club. I know it's going to be kind of a mission possibly once to leave, but I would try at least to keep him. You know, I think they've got to try. I don't, I don't think it'll be successful, but they've got to try. Whether that's offering the captain, say, or offering them a serious wage, but. I think Could Dallon settle Cal McGregor then, though, if you offer Dyer the captaincy? I don't think Cal McGregor will be here, so I don't think that will matter. Mm-hmm. 
And in all fairness, I don't think the captaincy would be the deciding factor on whether I or stayed or not. Uh, you know, I think, um, <clears throat> look, at the end of the day, Celtic are playing in, in the Scottish League. There are players who want to leave, not just because they want to get out of out of Celtic Park. They want to move to a bigger challenge in a bigger league and everything that, that you know, it usually brings more money and that kind of thing as well. But I think, you know, a lot of them are at that age where they just want to take that next step and we can all be critical of them, you know, but we probably would be doing the same thing um, if, you know, if it was any of us in our own jobs. So, uh, you know, you're always going to look to Betty yourself and if those guys are able to move on to bigger leagues. So I just have one comment here, sorry. You can't criticise them for doing that? No. No, you can't really because they have to look after themselves really in their own futures when they re- when they retire and if they want a bigger challenge, if they want to have a better experience in Europe, if they can with a B club, you can't really discipline for doing that really, can you? You know? You know? It's a short career as well. Yeah, it is like yeah. I just have one here, sorry, quick Mark one. No, I was just gonna say the same thing. You can't fault players for wanting to better themselves and move to better leagues make money. I mean, Kieran Tierney's, not just Kieran Tierney, these players, they're, make, they're making a kind of money that's setting up their family for generations. Mm-hmm. Not just to know. Mm-hmm. Some of the players, that do, the wages that they're getting done in England, like their great-great-grandkids will still be well off because of the money that they're, that they're making the now. Exactly. Can you fault anybody for bettering themselves in it, no matter what walk of life you're in? So just before we move on there from the live chat, I just want to point out there, PK is uh, saying here, and I, I agree with him, still never replaced Scott Sinclair, the sticky gaffer was on call for. I was actually very surprised at the treatment Scott Sinclair got from the club in his last season, with us not being played, being benched every game, when the last two seasons he was uh, nearly our joint top scorer, if not our top scorer. I know he had up and downs in his games, but Scott Sinclair did get your goals. You know, I mean, never kind of did replace him, did we? No, no, nobody replaced him. But it's even in a bad game. It's like James Forrest. They can, have, they can be having a bad game, but they can pop up with a winner. Yeah, that was, exactly. Scott Sinclair should never have been out there. We should have tried to, I think that came down to money. We should have been trying to get him to extend his contract. But what happened? What, 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 did, that, did it ever come out what happened there? This, this thing, like why he was constantly being benched? Was there something put into his new contract, uh, that, an appearance fee or anything like that? Well, he never got the new contract as such, went to, it was that extension that I was talking about earlier, was that that yeah. triggered? Yeah. They triggered that and then never played him. At first, at first. There could have been a, an appearance fee, and uh, there might have been an appearance fee or something in that, or that he, why he wasn't being played, you know, that, you know something with the games or something, you know? It's about both, I thought, what they'd done with Sinclair. Mm-hmm. Contract and then basically missing a missing a year of football, through the assume no no fault he's on behind the scenes. He never came across as a person that would be, it cause any trouble behind the scenes or that. It's a strange one altogether. That. Right, so I think we'll move on from the the Celtic rumours for tonight. And if, if anything ever pops up again, look, we'll go through stuff. So. Before we move on, uh, we'd like to welcome to the show former professional footballer Barry Forbes, known to you guys on the form as Iceman. 
before we get talking to, to Barry, I just want to give you an insight into his career. He played with Dundee from the 1st of July 1999 to the 25th of August 2003. He went in 2003, he went on loan to Hamilton. Of course, while we know that uh, Barry played at Celtic Park in a 6-2 victory, defeat to Celtic in 2003. It's no surprise to say it's been a bit of a disaster, guys, isn't it, for the season? Uh, very disappointing. And, and one of the biggest seasons in the club's history, certainly in, in my lifetime, um, going for that holy grail of 10 in a row, from what's happened, it's just been so disappointing. Um, with regards to going forward, uh, you know, it's going to be a very interesting summer. I had a conversation with Paul yourself yesterday. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to be one of the biggest transitions that, I can remember as a Celtic supporter in my time, you know, with obviously we're, we're going to get a new manager uh, soon, uh, but you know it's the it's the players. There's going to be so many players, uh, you know, turn around from the the guys who won't be here due to their contracts. At least, I, I, I mean, I do think Ayer will be away. I know you'd said, Mark, that you'd hoped, uh, you know, a new manager might convince him. I, I would be in the same boat as that, but. I think the Norwegian managers potentially just killed us because he came out, I think, a week or two ago saying that, uh, you know, it's time for Chris Heyer to move. He then bombed him from the squad. I think he started the first game off on the bench, didn't get on at all, and then uh, criticised his next performance against Turkey. So I think he'll certainly be on the go. So it's going to be a really interesting summer, guys. But, you know, as Celtic supporters, we're always hopeful. We're always excited about what the future lies ahead. Uh, but like I say, first and foremost, we just need to get the manager in the door, whether that be Eddie Howe or, or whoever it may be. Uh, like Chris had said earlier, you never, never trust what the press are writing. You know, I didn't really take anything from the agent's uh, comments yesterday about him not being close to joining the club. That didn't particularly put me off. I, I personally think there will be an announcement by the end of the month, simply due to the fact that that's when the season ticket renewal campaign starts. And I think the club are going to want to have some good news to, or are certainly hopeful news to, to give the fans before that campaign starts. Uh, and Perfect. so, yeah, so looking forward to, the, to what, what the future Perfect. is going to be. Uh, I know Chris is dying to ask this question, so Chris, we'll <laughs> move on to you just to get your question that you've been waiting for at past week to get, to get out your mouth. Shut up about this question. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful to have you on the show. You're very, very welcome indeed. And thank you for taking the time to come on. We really appreciate Thank you very much, mate. Appreciate it. Uh, you know, it's just great to have you involved because we're trying to build a very strong Celtic community, both in the forum and the podcast. And it's great to have you along for the ride. But <clears throat> there is a question that I'm keen to ask you, Barry. And it probably means more to me than anybody else because you have walked the path as a professional footballer that I'm sure every single one of us has dreamed of walking. So just before I hit you with the question, I'll give you a very quick background to it. 
Um, now, I've been going to Celtic Park for many years. Now, I normally always sit about 20 rows back in the lower Jock Steen stand. But it wasn't until 20, uh, 2014 that I went on the club tour. And it was a fabulous experience. I've talked about it before in the podcast. But what impressed me the most was walking down the tunnel and out onto the side of the pitch. I swear it, I had to stop myself from running into the centre circle and jumping about. But anyway, even though it was empty, I was blown away by the stadium when I saw it at ground level. It looked completely different to seeing it from the stand. Now, I know that when you played at Celtic Park uh, back in 2003, you were playing for the opposition on the day. So my question is very simple. How did it feel for you as a Celtic fan to walk down the tunnel on match day and come face to face with the crowd and the noise at the other end of it. You know something, Chris, similar to yourself. You know, I've I had a season ticket as a kid with my dad, and my brother. Uh, you know, sat in the stands for many seasons. So you know, to be able to have that experience, without doubt, one of the best experiences of my life. Uh, that 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 particular night, uh, it was seven days before Celtic played against Porto and Seville in the UEFA Cup final. So the atmosphere was absolutely incredible. The, you know, the noise from the stadium that night, the fans were pretty much in party mode. You know, they had the sombreros, the beach balls, they were envisaging in seven days' time. You know, but at the same time, that particular season, um, uh, they were neck and neck with Rangers for the title. It was the year they were on the same points. They were pretty much on the same goal difference. So, uh, you know, they were really, the fans were up for it as much as the players on that night, but it was just a special, special moment for myself. And like I say, you know, to to be sitting in that stand as a young kid, you know, idolising some of these guys growing up as the years passed, to then be able to step out onto the pitch in front of 60-odd thousand supporters and rub shoulders with, you know, the guys that I cheered on and supported, it was a real special moment. But at the same time, I had a job to do. So, you know, uh, the result that night, it, it finished 6-2 to Celtic, you know, which obviously wasn't uh, what I'd, I'd wanted personally, but, you know, a, a real a real special moment for me. Well, that's wonderful. I'm just glad that you didn't answer that question with, yeah, it was all right. <laughs> <laughs> but and, and just, just finally, and a very, very simple question, just give me one name. Um you, you you played for I think it was you know, you played I think you came on what fifty fifth or fifty sixth minute or something like that fifty fifth minute fifty fifth minute so we've got to start bringing yep. the fives into things now <laughs> so for the time that you were on the pitch Barry what one Celtic player stood out to you well uh, you know what I'll tell you what there was one there was one in particular now obviously that. That Celtic team was just littered with. It was one of the best Celtic teams that yeah, I, I can know. remember. Uh, you know, uh, you know. I, I think in the midfield that day it was uh, Petrov, Lennon, uh, Lambert, Thompson, and Agat. Uh, Larson was up front. He scored that day with Maloney. But the the one person that really stuck out for me, and it, it might come as a slight surprise, it was Neil Lennon. It was Neil Lennon. You, you know, something he, he just had. He covered just about every blade of grass that night. And as you can imagine, a Dundee against Celtic uh, at Celtic Park when you know Celtic are going for the league, they're riding high. They had the lion's share of possession, you know, seventy plus percent, I'd imagine. But any time they never had it, you know, any time we managed to get possession, he was the one that was at the forefront trying to get the ball back for them. He was covering every blade of grass. Certainly, every time I managed to get a touch of the ball, which wasn't that often that night. 
he was within five, ten yards, you know, really trying to get that ball back. So I would say that particular night, Lennon was the one. Lennon was the guy that stuck out for me. And, you know, he doesn't really get a great deal of credit in that team, given the, the, the talent that was there and, you know, the showman like Maravchik, you know, the goals that Henrik scored, Sutton, Hartin, you know, Petrov. You know, he's the one that sort of fades in the background sometimes. But certainly that night, he was the one that, that really stuck out for me as just a sheer desire. You know, certainly what, I think at one point there were 6-1 up, but and he was still so determined to get the ball back and, you know, get them back on the front foot, going for for more goals. And, you know, I think that was a, a testament to his character. But I, I would say, Chris, Lennon was the one that particular night that stuck out for me. Wonderful. That's a fabulous... You know, Barry, not only did you answer the question, but you gave a, a, a fantastic explanation of why you, why you named him. So, thank you. Listen, guys, sure. I can rest easy for the night now. I'm just delighted <laughs> that Barry has given us those... given us that insight to actually plan at Celtic Park because, to me, that's my... You know, I've, I've almost lived my dream through you there, Barry, so thank you very much for that. I think yeah. we all have, Chris, yeah, we all have there. So... I think by just moving on there, we, 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 as you said there, we, we talked yesterday and you talked about, to me, you talked about Lennon as well yesterday and we were saying like that Lennon gave his life to Celtic realistically and that every Celtic fan should remember Neil Lennon for what he did for the club, not just for this season. You know, Neil Lennon is a legend and just hopefully that this season doesn't damage what, what he actually did for the club. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, obviously, Neil Lennon was a fantastic player for the club. You know, he was very successful uh, as a player, won many trophies. And he had to go through a hell of a lot. You know, it would have been easy for a lesser character to, to turn away and decide, you know, it's not worth it. It's not worth putting my family through this, you know, getting bullets through the door, you know, getting attacked in a dugout. You know, it would have been easy for Lennon to walk away, but he never. And that was because he's loved for the football club. You know, he's a Celtic supporter, just like the rest of us, as much as anybody. And, you know, this season has been disappointing, you know. And I, I said yesterday, I just hope that, you know, in years to come, we can remember Neil Lennon for all the good that he achieved in, uh, as a player and as a manager and not for what's happened this season. And I certainly think he deserves that. And Hopefully, you know, time's a great healer and in a few years' time we can remember Neil Lennon for, for, for what he achieved as a player and a manager. Exactly. So moving on from, from that match, you, uh, was it was it two weeks later you were actually in the stadium watching the the St. Johnston's game when Harold Blackback got the, the final goal against St. Johnston that we won the league? I uh, well, commitment that you're Celtic. That you're... Well, that that was a different that was a different year. I must admit, I'm still I'm still a youngster. Yeah, I'm still a youngster. But you know, that kind of just goes back to the fact that you know I'm sitting in the stands and watching these guys uh, playing, mm-hmm. idolising them, and then you know, like I said earlier, to get the opportunity to rub shoulders and actually go and share a field with them. Uh, you know, it was a special moment for me and for my family. You know, I come from a big Celtic supporting family, so you know, uh, uh, it was a great moment for me. So that team, like that team, they had likes of Larson, uh, Harson, Sutton, Alan Thompson, Lennon, Maracek, big, big players, big players, and Boba Balde. Boba can Balde, Celt- yeah. Can can Celtic compete to bring these players like that into the club? Big name players, or do you think those days are gone, Chris, financially for the club? Sorry, was that for me? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Are you, are you asking Barry or me? No, no, Barry. Sorry, Barry. Sorry, Barry. Sorry, Barry. You know, some, I think, to be honest, with, with regards to, to bringing in bigger name players, I, I, I can't see, you know, I think the financial gap's just too big now. 
you know, I think back then Celtic were able to sort of compete. You know, we managed to sign Chris Sutton from from Chelsea, you know, for six million pounds. Exactly. You know, his, his previous fee to, from Blackburn to Chelsea was ten. And, you know, and we were able to compete wage wise. You know, I think like Henrik Larson, I think you know he was on about thirty eight thousand pounds a week. You know, and I think at the time Roy Keane was the highest paid British player on fifty thousand. So the the gap wasn't that big back then. The gap is just huge now. So, you know, I, I can't see us going out and signing players, but, you know, like, like people have commented on tonight, I don't see why we can't go and get some decent players. You don't have to sometimes fork out big fees to get players. You know, there's players that will exactly. be a contract to... that we could potentially offer a decent wage to. And we're still a massive club. You know, we're still a pool that, you know, whilst the Scottish League may get its critics and so on and so forth, we are still a big club. We are still a big club that players will want to come and play for. Exactly. So, with the problems this season, myself, Chris and Mark have been talking about it there for the last podcast, is, is our youth academy, there, there seems to be no pathway for them to break into the the first team and, and a lot of young players are actually leaving recently. So, when you were a young player at Dundee, what was kind of given to you as, as your development as a player and to make your breakthrough into the first team, Barry? Yeah, well, I think, like, back then, uh, you know, in my youth days, you know, if, if you were doing well, you know, and I was fortunate enough to play in a pretty decent Dundee youth team, you know, we the first year we reached the cup final, you know, we lost to Celtic in the cup final, but along the way, we knocked out Rangers, we knocked out Hearts. Uh, so if you were developing well, you were right in with the first team in terms of training. Now, you weren't, okay, you might not have made the squad, but you were right in the mix and, and to be honest you kind of felt a part of the, the team and, and I think you know that that's what needs to happen the youth development itself is going to be huge for us I really think mm-hmm. it's an area that we need to put a proper focus on because you know I think going forward there is there, there's, there is issues with it just now you know we're losing players you know I think Barry Hepburn and Liam Morrison both away to Bayern Munich there's been guys going to Man City you know we're losing players right, left and centre and these guys they're clearly thinking to themselves you know I don't see a pathway to, to, to the Celtic first team so I'm going to try elsewhere you know I really That's think that, that we have to have a massive focus on it and probably more so now with the whole Brexit thing because Celtic's model at the minute as we all know is it's going into Europe and it's signing players uh, you know young players from European leagues that have been undiscovered nurturing them developing them and selling them on for, for big profits we're not going to have that option going forward because these players will not have, uh, you know, be allowed visas into the country. So we, we really need to be looking at youth development. And I think whoever comes in, you know, the director of football, you know, I think that's going to be a massive part of uh, Celtic's, you know, plan going forward is to develop this youth. And like you say, Paul, you know, the, these, these young kids, they need to be able to see a way of how they're going to get into the Celtic first team. Because right now, mm-hmm. I don't think it's there. And that's the reason that we're losing a lot of talent to, to some of Europe's biggest clubs. And that, that, that doesn't sit well with me. Barry, would you say that they're... Sorry, Paul. Would you say that their path to the first team is blocked because of the structure of the club and not their actual individual ability? I would say that that's probably the case, Chris. I think it has to be, you know, like I said, we're, we're, it's not like we're losing players at 18, 19 that have had, you know, a taste of first team football 
uh, not getting maybe the minutes that they wanted and have decided to move on to, to, to other clubs. These are kids at 16-year-old. 16-year-old, the yeah, 16, yeah, 16, yeah. The, the, the two lads who have gone to Bayern Munich, you know, they're both 16-year-olds, you know, so... Uh, it's funny, they talk about Fergal Harkin being, you know, the pathways manager for Man City. I don't think Celtic have a pathway for the youth team. You know, I have to laugh sometimes when I hear, you know, players talk about, uh, our supporters certainly talk about, uh, you know, Callum McGregor and, uh, you know, James Forrest, you know, youth players who broke through. I think James Forrest is 30 year old. Callum McGregor's not too far behind him. Now, I know there's been like Kieran Tierney and, you know, if you probably look at Mikey Johnson and Stephen Welsh, there needs to be more. There needs to be more kids coming in, you know. There need, Celtic need to get back on uh, to, to a field whereby they're developing these young players uh, and these players are coming into the first team uh, and staking a claim because just now it doesn't happen too often. And, and like I say, with the money gap, we, we don't have the finances to go out and sign you know, top European players. We really need to have a big focus on, in my opinion, we need to have a big focus on the youth team. And going forward, like I say, whoever gets the director of football job, I think that's going to be a massive thing for them. Exactly. Like we we send out like the, the young lad Luca Connell. He's actually gone out to the the Queen of the, the, the Queen of the Souths. Is it the yeah the Queen the Queen's Park? Sorry, Queen's Park. Queen's and, Park. Uh, yeah. He actually has three assists. I think two goals in three games or something like that. And he's and he's two two man the match performance. Sure, sure. Because like when he comes in next season, he should be breaking into this first team because uh, when I was talking to him yesterday, he said he he, uh, he played in the preseason friendly against Tibbs, and his passing was was, was absolutely amazing. You said that he, he's. A vision of the game, yeah. you know, for I, such a young lad. Yeah, I mean, I, I watched that game that we spoke about, Paul. You know, it was a pre-season friendly uh, against Hibs at Celtic Park, and Connell played in the centre of the park, and he, he had a fantastic game, you know. But he's never been seen since, you know. So, so no, obviously, it's been problem, decided. But, yeah, whether it be himself that's just gone to, you know, the club and said, you know, I want to get out and play first team football because, you know, there's no reserve games just now. There's no. There's no, uh, you know, sort of even friendlies being played. These guys are just coming in. These kids, they're, they're training Monday to Friday and, and they're not really getting any game time. Barry. Take a big advantage for... Yes, Mark. Sorry, Mark, on. Uh, just what you're talking about there, Barry. Do you think... Of what was it you said there about getting into the first team? I've, I've lost it now. Forget it. <laughs> it's about the pa- pathway, mate, No. Oh, you said something that I thought of. I came into my head. I've totally lost it. It's all right. On you go, what you were talking about. Would you, Barry, Barry, would you say that Neil Lennon was an obstacle uh, to a lot of the young players coming through? Because on the last podcast, we chatted, and I had certainly given, and it was just my view at the time, is that, you know, these young lads coming into the development squad, they're like any bunch of young lads. They talk to each other, you know, are, are... are they saying to you know to young lads coming in? Listen, you're not going to get a chance. He doesn't give anybody a chance at all. I don't think they didn't trust him, Chris. Do you think like that? He didn't yeah. trust. Yeah. He stuck with the same yeah. eleven players that that he tried and trusted. Like, well, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Team, and, you know, and, 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 and the point I'd made at that time was that I felt perhaps it was actually down to Lennon's lack of confidence. In his own position, as it was, you know, as much as actually a lack of confidence in the ability of the young lads, feeling that if I bring a couple of young lads in or even one, and if he has a nightmare of a game, I'm going to be blamed. And I, you know, and I, I really don't feel comfortable taking that stick. Barry, do you think there's any truth in that, or is is that the wrong way to look at it? 
I, I don't know, to be honest. Cause I, you know what? I'd, I'd be less likely to point the finger at Neil Lennon because look at the managers before him. You know, there's been Brendan Rodgers, Ronnie Dyla, Neil Lennon before that. How many youth players have come through the system? How many players have broken to the None. team? You know, Neil Lennon gave uh, James Forrest his debut as I think a 19 or 20 year old in his first stint as manager. Mm-hmm. And, you know, beyond maybe Callum McGregor, who I think came in under Ronnie Dyla, there's not been sort of any, you know, Mikey Johnson's had a handful of games, you know. I, I, I'd be less likely to point the finger at Neil Lennon. Listen, I think I had a conversation with Paul yesterday about Neil Lennon, and, you know, I'm certainly not going, going to bash the guy, but I feel Neil Lennon's sort of qualities as a manager you know, when it comes to the tactical side of things and development, I, I think personally they're limited. And I think when you listen to players who have played under him in the past, you know, they, they talk about how he, he never really spoke about tactics. He never, never really did shape during training. He was more of a motivator. So, you know, from that point of view, that could potentially hinder developing young players because it's maybe not his forte to do that. But I think, you know, if you look back on previous managers that that, have, that we've had in the last sort of 10 to 15 years, you know, I, I don't see many youth players coming through that. So I would I would suggest it's more to do with the structure, the youth development structure yeah. of the club that needs looked at as opposed to the individual managers. Now, prior to this season, though, uh, Barry, um, a lot of people would have claimed that John Kennedy was the backbone of Celtic. But because this season has been so poor, a lot of fans, uh, certainly from what I've seen, have... They haven't just been blaming Neil Lennon. They've been blaming John Kennedy every bit as much. And then in the last few games when he has been in control, again, a lot of fans saying, oh, it's just the same as before. Get Kennedy out. It seems like half the fan base want Kennedy, want John Kennedy out as well. Uh, whereas, like I say, prior to this season, he was considered as Mr. Celtic, the backbone of, of the whole training structure. And he was so good that Rogers wanted to take him to Leicester as well. But he said, no, he wouldn't go. There's even talk that he turned down the Hibs job. Do you think this season has damaged John Kennedy's position at the club? Uh, you know, personally, you know, something I think with John Kennedy, listen, you know, I don't think there's any doubt he has coaching abilities. And, you know, when you speak to players that have maybe played or are being coached by him, you know, uh, you listen to what Brendan Rodgers has to say about him. He's clearly a good coach. I, th- I think the issue is a lot of the conception is that John Kennedy is a defensive coach, and, and when when Celtic lose, you know, it, so many goals at set pieces, and they never seem to yeah. learn their lesson game after game. A lot of people point the finger at John Kennedy and say, "Well, you know, John Kennedy was a centre half. Why is he not sorted this out?" It's not the case. John Kennedy's not a de- he's, he's a football coach. He's not a defensive coach. What I personally feel, Chris, and I, and I had this conversation with Paul yesterday, I think it's time for John Kennedy to go from Celtic, and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way or a, a you know a finger pointing. Me. I think you know, for his own development, I think he needs to go and take a team. He needs to go and get his own football club, manage a football club, put his stamp on things, and kind of cut his teeth in management because he's been a coach now at Celtic for a number of years. You know, so. I think the longer he stays at the club, it might sort of stagnate his coaching development. So I think, you know, it is time for John Kennedy to move on uh, and, and try, try his hand at management and go and prove. Because I think there was a consensus at one point that he was the natural successor to Neil Lennon, you know, before things went to shape. 
And, you know, people were talking about uh, he would step in. I, I, I don't buy into that. I think you need to sort of go and earn your rights to get the, the Celtic manager job. So I think, uh, me personally, I think John Kennedy should go go into management, you know, put a stamp on a team, develop a team, you know, earn the plaudits or whatever it may be. Uh, and then you never know further down the line, he might very well end up as a Celtic manager. But for me, uh, John Kennedy, sh- sh- I think he should be moving on this summer. Uh, and, and whoever gets the manager's job at Celtic should look to be bringing th- their own staff. Yeah. Just going back there. How do you feel about Scott Brown leaving Barry? Personally, I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed that Scott Brown's left. I, I know, again, he's taken a lot of flack uh, this season. You know, <laughs> every player, you can point the, pl- uh, the finger at every player for what's happened this season. But I, I just feel, you know, Okay, his legs aren't there anymore. He's, I think he's 35. I don't know if he's 36 this summer. I don't know. Or he's just turning 35. I'm not sure. There's no doubt you, you know, his legs are, aren't what they used to be. But I still think he can make a contribution to the team. I really do. And I think, you know, whilst it wasn't a great performance against Rangers a few weeks back, he was forward man of the match. And, and, you know, he controls games. But I, I don't feel Celtic use him the way he should be used. You know, Celtic... You know, under Neil Lennon in the diamond formation, what have you, they seemed to put the play through Scott Brown. He was the first, you know, the defend, defence would pass it to Brown and Brown would control. That, that, that's not for me. That's not Scott Brown's strength. Scott Brown's strength is snapping, getting the ball back, getting in players' faces. You know, for me, Callum McGregor should have been the guy that was getting the ball and controlling the midfield. So I think, you know, they were using Scott Brown not the way he should have been used this season. And I think, personally, He's played more minutes than he probably should have had. Uh, you know, it's probably you know held sorrow back a little bit. You know, sorrow came in. He got good minutes round about you know the Christmas time. He was doing well, and then all of a sudden, you know, Brown was back in the team. I think he should have been used sternly, but you know, I'm a bit disappointed because I feel he could have had another season. You know, he's clearly a good influence around the dressing room. He's he's very yeah. well respected. He, yeah. His attitude, uh, you know, when you listen to people speak about his attitude in training, he seems to be non-stop. You know, he, yeah. he, he he's all going. So I'm a bit disappointed. I didn't see it coming, but you know what? Part of me as well takes my heart off to the guy because clearly he's looking at his future in terms of developing himself as a coach. Now he's going as Stephen Glass's assistant up at Aberdeen. So he's looking at how he can develop himself as a coach. He's taking that step. So kind of tying that in with John Kennedy, I think he should be doing the same. But yeah, from a personal point of view, guys, I'm slightly disappointed that Brown has decided to, to mm-hmm. move on. Uh, but at the same time, I do respect I do respect him for, for what he's doing. Yeah. Well, maybe he'll be back someday. Back to you there, Paul. So just moving on, Daryl, with... Um uh, Barry, with all the players uh, supposedly leaving and not negotiating their contracts and unsettling the dressing room, have you ever been in the dressing room with a player unsettled or a player even in an unsettled dressing room? Uh, well, I have, yeah. <laughs> uh, at the time, uh, you know, in the Dundee days, uh, there was, I don't know how much you guys remember, that we got an Italian manager, a guy called Ivano Benetti. Yeah, Benetti. Uh, Benetti yeah, Benetti. Yeah, uh, Ivano Benetti came in and uh, what followed him was an influx of foreign players. Um, some good, some not so good, uh, you know. Uh, but there was a, a bit of a, a, a bust. You know, I, I was just a young sort of kid at the time. Uh, there, I remember there being a bit of a bust up at training uh, and the players involved were pretty much ostracised. 
you know, they they were uh, you know banished from first team. <laughs> everything to do with the first team, they got their own training facilities. So you know, obviously, it's it's never good. It's never good when uh, you know there's a a divide in the changing room. Obviously, that's never or as far as we're aware, and that's not been the case at Celtic. You know, as, as the guys touched on earlier, there there is players who want to be, but I mean that, that's just natural. You know, that's just natural. You know, that that is the Celtic model, as I kind of touched on earlier. We went and signed guys like Christopher Ayer, um, you know, Hudson Edward, you know, Christie as a young kid, you know, and Charm. These guys, you know, that that's the model of Celtic. We go in, we sign these players, we give them a platform to play on. You know, they're, they're getting, they're competing for trophies, they're playing on the European stage, and as a result, you know, if they do well, teams are going to notice them. So it's only natural that that you know these players are going to want to move on to bigger leagues, earn bigger wages. It's just you know, it's just the, the way football is. And you know, I think it was interesting. You know, Dermot Desmond said in his statement. You know, going back a couple of weeks, he was prepared for this to happen. That that was a consequence of him holding on to his players and and you know in, in the quest for ten in a row, he decided that they weren't going to be selling Edward or Christie or Ayer or you know any. He was going to keep his his squad together, but as a result, he was very well aware that next summer, as in this one coming, that there was going to be a huge transition. So you know, hopefully, you know. He's prepared for that, and I don't know whether that means you know there's a, there's going to be money there to spend in the summer. I'd imagine there would be, but like I say, he touched on it himself with regards to this summer was always going to be a transition as a consequence of holding on to your your Edwards and Ayers, etc. Can I cut in here the new Paul? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the question I was going to ask earlier. An alert popped up. I thought the scheme had died. That's what the question in my head. Uh, Barry, back to about players going out and loan. Do you not think that it's part of their learning curve? See, when you, when you left Dundee to go to Hamilton, did they tell you, go and spend a season at Hamilton, come back, and you'll be ready for our first team? You, you know what, Mark? It was, it was the other way about, mate. It was the other way about. because So I, I, I was fortunate enough to break into the first team at Dundee. Uh, and like, like I said, the, uh, I, I only played a handful of games. It was like 15 games that I'd played. But, you know... I was never consistently involved. I was never sort of playing week in, week out. And as a result, once I'd had that sort of taste of first-team football, when I wasn't playing every week, I wanted to go out and get it. So it was me, myself, that went to the manager. It was Jim Duffy at the time. And I said, you know, I'm not playing as much as I want to. You know, would it be possible for me to go on loan? And he agreed. And like, like you say, Mark, I think it's a great part of a player's development, you know. So, you know, when I went, when me personally... When I went on loan to Hamilton, I absolutely loved it. I mean, these were guys, you know, I'd gone from a changing room that had, you know, big players in it. You know, you're looking at the time at the Dundee changing room, you know, there was Ravenelli that was in that team. You yes, know, Speroni was in the goal, you know, uh, Kitspaya, Georgie Namzadze, you know. I went from, you know, sharing a changing room with these guys to going in with guys who, you know, were part-time, you know, Desperate to win games of football, desperate to get promotion, you know. Normal working environment, a good normal spirit, all the banter and things that go with that. Absolutely brilliant, Matty. And the thing was as well, it was an eye-opener because, you know, these guys, you know, they relied on, you know, the 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 small win bonuses because that could have helped, I don't know, you know, buy buy them a motor. It could have helped, you know, uh, get their wife a kitchen, you know. 
pay their rent, you know. It was a high up, but, but I absolutely loved it. I embraced it. I loved my time at Hamilton. Was that the old Douglas Park? It was, no, it was a new Douglas Park, mate. It, it, was, it was a new one. It, it was grass at the time, right enough. It wasn't an astroturf. But, uh, you know, but that, that was me. And I believe it, it's, it's, you know, you're going in against guys that, you know, are not scared to kick you. You know, that, they're there to put you up in the air. It, it really helps you develop physically as much as it does that's mentally. Perfect. So That's why I think it should be part. That's what I'm saying about Luke O'Connell. Hopefully he's out there learning his... I mean, David Beckham went and went to Preston North End. Callum McGregor went to North yeah. County, didn't he? Aye. Yeah. To me, you, you know, it should be... If players are at a certain level going to the first team, but it should be a fucking any player to go. But imagine below them are that and the learning curve for their young player, and that should be like the final year of what you call an old-fashioned apprenticeship. Get mm-hmm. down, get toughened up, get kicked up and down the park, and learn about the old dirty style of football. That time, you'll either be ready for Celtic, or you'll be ready to play for somebody at a decent enough level. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely. And you know something? It's, it's, it's a real eye-opener, and you, you, you learn a lot more. Like I, I personally found, and I'm sure anybody that does go out and learn, you, you learn a lot more from going and playing in competitive senior football than you would do from from a reserve match or an under-21 game or, you know, your friendlies that you have at Lennox Town. You, you would learn a lot more than going and, and cutting your teeth down in these lower leagues, you know, going up against guys that, you know, sort of tough guys, hard men, you know, guys that are desperate to win games of football. And like you say, it's a real eye-opener. And by the time you've gone down there and if you're success, it makes you appreciate what you've got when you're back at the club, uh, you know, that you play for. But I, I, I agree with you, Mark, 100%. For me, you know, any of the young Celtic players that, you know, aren't, maybe aren't quite at the level that they're getting making the first-team squad, they need to go and cut their piece, you know, in the championship or, or even League One. You know, I think Luke O'Connell, he seems to have embraced it. Yeah. Paul and I spoke about it yesterday. You know, he's he's gone in there and he's shown, by what I've heard and the reports that I've read about him, he's shown a terrific attitude uh, at Queen's Park. He's gone in there and he's shown what they can do. He's shown what he can do. I think he got, he's had three appearances, three man in the matches, a goal and two assists. So he's really embracing the, the, the opportunity to go and play on loan at a senior club. And good luck to him. And I think... Uh, more more players should should be doing the same. Or Celtic should be certainly looking to send some of these guys out. I know I think Ian Henderson's just went to to Dunfermline recently as well. These are good opportunities for these guys to go and get minutes at senior level, and it'll set them in good stead for for you know hopefully coming back in the summer and having a good go for the new manager at Celtic. I mentioned there, uh, Barry, just in in the rumours section at the beginning. I don't know if you heard it or not, but that young Norwegian lad we have, young Leo Hjeld, who's up with the Staggies at the minute with Yogi, um, Mm. seems to be getting really, really good reviews. Do you know anything about him at all? I I don't, I don't know too much about him in terms of, you know, probably what the the Knicks fans, but you know what, what, probably like a lot of Celtic fans, I always take a keen interest on the youth. I always like to see who's going to be coming through and who's got an opportunity. So, you know, I think it was John Hughes that went out and requested. He actually wanted Leo Hill to to, to come in, and certainly he made a big impression early doors because I think John Hughes was talking him up very well and, and really. You know, suggesting that he could come in in the summer and certainly do a job at centre half. But like I say, you know, a good opportunity for this this guy to to go and you know he's and he'll be playing at a good level. You know, he's played at a good level. I think he actually got uh, good raps 
against Rangers. Now, I think, you know, I think they took a bit of a do in that day. I think they lost 6-0 or so, but John Hughes was very <coughs> complimentary, I held, in that particular game. So, you know, like, like as, as mentioned in there, you know, a good opportunity for these guys to go out and experience senior, senior football. You know, they're not getting the minutes that Celtic at this moment in time. So, a good opportunity to go out. But, you know, you've got to impress in these games as well. You've got to impress the manager and, you know, there's no doubt that, you know, whoever the manager may be, you know, John Hughes, I'm sure, would be uh, keen to give a report on Hilda. And like I say, I think it speaks volumes for the guy that he's now been linked with a move to... Southampton, is it? Yeah, So he must be doing something right out there. But, you know, th- th- these are guys that, you know, we really need to be <laughs> hopefully given an opportunity to, if the opportunity arises... So- so, so but I do think, like uh, myself and Mark talked about this in the in the first podcast we did, and uh, we, we talked about cold teams that we have here in Ireland. Uh, we have Shamrock Rovers have a cold team down here, and I know it's been refused a lot of times up in Scotland. But that would be a great benefit to Scottish football and and development of not just foreign players but Scottish players as well to have a Celtic and Rangers cold teams in the lower divisions to help these youngsters play. You say this competitive football that's that's happening, you know. Well, that is imposed, isn't it? It's been refused again. Was it refused? Yeah. Right, yeah. okay. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, so I, I, I see both good and bad you know, you know, to, to, to the Colts teams because, you know, to have them in, in the lower Scottish League, you know, I understand you know, there's potential there to, to, to be a good option to develop these players, but I personally would probably, I think personally, I would rather see these rather than the Colt team itself be formed as a team in the lower league. I'd rather see the players, if they're not getting the opportunity itself, to actually go out and play for your your Dumbartons, you know, your Alois, your Dunfermlins, to actually experience what it's like in those teams, you know, to, to, to have to, you know to have a guy be willing to give you a ball and if you make a mistake, you know, <laughs> you know, effectively. Uh, you know, affecting their win bonus or that. You know, I think it's a massive learning experience. So, you know, the Colt teams, do I think it would be a good idea to have them in the lower league? Personally, I would rather see the younger players go out and actually experience senior football at the lower league Scottish clubs than I would to see a, a Colt team, a Celtic or a Rangers Colt team in the lower ebbs in the Scottish Football League. I, I think it's better for the learning curve for these guys to go and actually play in your, your, your like I say, your Dumbartons or yeah, your Yeah, they're, they're going to take it for a different manager as well and see different types of what, what managers play and what a, a manager's different view would have in that player than his own kind of team as well. Isn't it? Yeah, you know? absolutely. You know? So, you know, sometimes maybe even learn a different side to your game. A game, uh, yeah. you know, a game where you might have to roll the sleeves up and get stuck in, you know. I think, you know, in the sort of youth development, there's a lot of really good football played, you know. But what you probably don't see is, you know, games where you're away to East Stirling on a cold Wednesday night where you really have to dig deep and, you know, roll the sleeves up and, and, and really work it and work hard for you, for your win. I think that's a massive part of a young player's learning curve. And like I say, I certainly learned that when I moved from Dundee to Hamilton, I certainly learned a different side to my game that I never experienced when I was at Dundee. And, and me personally, I'd rather see um, some of the Celtic youngsters go out and learn that side of the game rather than maybe to see a Colt team in the lower divisions. But yeah, it's not the Colt team's not really competitive, they're not either, Barry. So it's not the really, like, they're not going to get promoted, they're going to stay in that division all the time. 
for me it's just basically a Celtic Colt team playing against lower leagues opposition you know, mm-hmm. and whilst whilst that will be competitive in terms of these teams are desperate to win and, and you know desperate to go up against the Celtics and Rangers, like I say, me personally, I'd rather see these young guys going out and getting good experience with, within addressing and playing like you said, playing for a different manager and really learning a different side to the game that I feel would be beneficial to them for when they came back to the football club. Yeah, that yeah. is actually a very very good point, Barry. Yes, it's a big gift, you know, because. The, it doesn't matter whether it's in England, Scotland, the Republic of Ireland or Northern Ireland. You get so many hard men playing in the lower leagues, don't you? You know, they're mm-hmm. maybe lacking a bit in talent. That's why they're in the lower leagues. But they're they're good, honest to goodness, tough, hard, hard players. And to get those young lads in the mix with them in training and playing with them as opposed to playing against them as part of their own little cocoon. And I think that that's actually a very uh, a very uh, clever um, inside sort of look at it. And that comes from someone like you with your experience, because I think a lot of us would have said beforehand, yes, it would be a terrific thing if we could get, you know, as, as Paul mentioned there, a Colt team or a junior team to go into the second division or whatever. But that, yeah, uh, I absolutely agree with what you said and I've never thought of it that way. Get those young lads in and around those guys working with them every day and that's when they'll either, that's when basically the game will either make them or break yeah, them and show exactly. them how good they are. Uh, absolutely. And it's certainly, trust me, it's certainly toughens you up you know, like like you say, you're you're going in and you're playing against these tough, honest, you know, players. But but you're also playing with them. You know, your teammates yeah. are also yeah, tough, exactly. honest guys. Yeah, exactly. You open the training yeah, session. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And like I said, they're not they're not slow to miss you if, if you make an error or you or you know they feel that you're not pulling your way. And it, it does develop. Yeah, it toughens you up both mentally and physically. And like I say, guys, I just feel that you know. I don't know if it's maybe an old-fashioned mindset, but I feel it worked well for me, and I've seen it working well for other people, uh, and that's that's the way I would be looking to do it. I'd be looking to get some of these young kids in and around, you know, on a senior teams, uh, and really learning and developing a different side to their game. And it'll only stand them in good stead for when they do come back and hopefully make an impact for Celtic. So, but, uh, just, uh, just looking there, uh, Barry, like, Give us a rundown on contract negotiations between the player and the agent, and is it stressful for you to get that deal over the line, or what kind of goes on behind the scenes there? So, well, you know something, you know, at the time, I think football football was a slightly simpler time back then, if I'm honest. But, but to answer your question, I did, I did have an agent. my first contract, you know, it was a YTS contract, so, so there's no, there, there, there's, there's nothing into it, you know. It's a two-year youth training scheme contract, you're on the youth development team. Uh, now, within that, I then got a, a one-year professional contract about six months into my YTS. So there is no negotiations. It was just very much a case of, um, you, you know, this is, this is what we're going to offer you. It's great if you sign it, if you don't, you're not coming with us. Simple as that. Um, but when I got I did get one sort of bigger or longer contract at Dundee. Uh, I made my first team debut. Uh, I was in the final year of my contract, uh, and I, I made my first team debut, ironically, against Hamilton. It was for Dundee. It was a League Cup match. And the, that very same week, Dundee offered me a four-year contract after that game. Um, 
Now we did have an agent at the time. So, so basically, the course of action was the director of football, the Dundee director of football, came to me to say, like, you know, would like to offer you a contract, and they asked me if I had an agent, which I did. So at the time, uh, he went in and uh, negotiated. Probably not the right word. Uh, he went and spoke to the club. Uh, and he, he came out uh, and he basically just said to me look this is the terms I've offered you a four year contract uh, this is the money that they'd be looking to offer you um, he then said uh, I did ask him if it was negotiable and they told me no it wasn't so uh, <laughs> that, that that was it but to be honest with you I was a young kid at the time you know I, I'd only made one senior appearance and had been offered a four year contract so I wasn't thinking about money or anything like that I was just delighted that you know Potentially for the next, yeah, that's what it was about, Mark. You know, I, you know, I had an opportunity now for the next four years to go and establish myself at the football club. So mm-hmm. you know, the the money thing was never an issue. And, and like I say, in terms of negotiating, you know, there was no negotiating. I, you know, maybe a player that's maybe well established, that's maybe played, you know, 150 games for a football club, they maybe have, you know, the the, the negotiating power to go and say, well, actually, no, I, I'm wanting X. You're offering me this, but. I'm wanting more. I didn't even give it a second thought. I just assumed yeah. my agent so came you had, back you and just said, you know, your love for the game. Probably just wanted, wanted, wanted to, to play. play yeah, like exactly. I, was, I think I was I was 20 year old when I got offered that contract. It was a case of give me a pen, I'll sign it straight away. And, and my thought process <coughs> was, you know, I've got four years now to go and sort of establish myself at this football club and you know take it from there. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't last four years because. The club went into administration two years into that, and at that point, I lost, I lost my job, and my contract was terminated. Yeah. By the sounds of that, Barry, though, if they had brought you in to discuss that four-year four contract, uh, you know your level of enthusiasm, as, as you've just uh, explained so well. If they had asked you to pay them fifty quid to give you a, a week to give you a four-year contract, you might have said yes, would you? If I'd have them 50 quid, I'd have been running at a loss because I don't think I've gone much more than that, to be perfectly honest. But, yeah, I mean, uh, I mean uh, yeah, I mean, like I say, you know, I, I was in the last year of my contract, so at that point, it was make or break for me. You know, I was very well aware that if I don't do something this year, you know, if, if it doesn't happen for me, you know, and I, I've not broken the first team, that, that'll be me away. You know, I was very well aware of that. So, like I say, to get offered a four-year contract after my, my very first appearance for the football club, uh, you know, I was I couldn't I couldn't sign it quick enough. Uh, it was simple as that. Yeah. But I think, like I say, I think it was a bit simpler back then because now when you, it's not just agency here, it, it seems to be teams of agents. You know, you, there's an entourage of people. You know, yeah. players. You know, yeah. advi- financial advisors. Oh, they don't do any work. They just roll in the money. Well, they'll be off. So that's that and. Um, there's so that many people involved, you know. It's, it's moved from players not having agents to players having one agent, and now some players have got two and three agents and financial advisors, and it just seems a messy process. And I, I don't, I don't envy the process now. There was a meeting the other week between all the Premier League clubs about these Champions League changes and that. There was a meeting between all the Premier League clubs. The behaviour of two agents was one of the top agendas. I'm not going to mention who the two agents are, but the behaviour and the influence they're having in the game was one of the agendas on that meeting. Yeah, so yeah. The power that some of these yeah. guys have got in the game is just unbelievable. It it's really ridiculous because when you're going to buy a player now, like it's not just the player's fee you're paying for. Like you could be paying at least 10 million, 20 million there for an agent's fee now, realistically, before you even buy the player. 
that could be the, the agent's fee. Realistically, before you go to buy. Agents are telling, telling clubs, I want this money before you'll get any chance of signing my player. Yeah, uh, yeah. Talking yeah. fees are anything now. It's, it's ridiculous, isn't it? You know something, back, back, there's certain managers, okay, they're probably a bit old school managers now, to be perfectly honest, they would not sign players that had agents because they refused to deal with them. They refused to deal with them. I've, I've listened to podcasts recently about a, a well-known Scottish manager and he refused to, to deal with any player or sign any player if he had to deal with an agent. You know, and, and that's, you know, these guys have been in the game a long time and they can see the the negative influence that these guys have, but I mean, I fully agree. Agents are ruining the game now. The the, the money they're making is disgusting. Oh, it's ridiculous. And, like it's, it's it's ridiculous. Like right, and and like it's for me. Like these ages, like you're 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 eighteen year old there, and you're nineteen. Like and you're getting nearly sixty to eighty thousand euro. I speak your pound. You say a week. Like that's ridiculous money for an age. And no wonder some of them are going off the walls the way they carry on. We have you have all this money into a bank account every week. You know, it's, it's it, there should be kind of a cap, really, on the well, youth player. If you, look at, if you look at one of the shocking experiences that we had, you know, with a young player having his head turned, was young Islam Farouz when he left and went to Chelsea. Apparently, his yeah, agent yeah. was absolutely, you know, he, he was 99.99% of the reason why why the lad went. Now, it turns out, well, he clearly had attitude issues as well because they have followed him everywhere he went but you know a young player like that that had natural obvious ability had been hyped up so much obviously by an agent you know you can get this and you can get that and it but it's not you know particularly a young lad like that it's not just a case of we can get you x pounds a week it's it's like we can guarantee that your family are going to be set up as well yeah exactly the family, they make promises to the family. We'll buy your mum a big fancy house. It's the money involved. That's the level that we're at. Same yeah. with young kid's mum. I mean, if you're a young boy, they're like Barry. If somebody turned around and said to you, Barry, look, you want sign for, come, come and sign for, here one, come and sign for Rangers, Barry. We'll give you back then five grand a week and we'll buy your mum a hundred thousand pound house. Would you have done it? Right, okay, Matt. You, you, you just said the football club there because it's funny because obviously when I was at Dundee, I was a well, well known within the changing room, etc. I was a Celtic fan, and I used to get asked that. I used to get asked that question. You know, would you ever sign for Rangers? You know, if they offered you twenty grand a week, you'd tell me you'd turn that down. Now my answer was, I would one hundred percent turn that down for the simple. <laughs> and the reason I used to give was if I was good enough to earn twenty grand a week at Rangers. I would be good enough to earn the same amount at a Cardiff City or a Wigan Athletic at the time. I just could yeah, not exactly. bring myself. Exactly. I could, just, just that club, Mark. Just that club. I could not bring myself to, to sign for that football club. Fair, fair <laughs> but, but, but I, I get... Would the £100,000 house for your mum have swayed your decision towards any other team then? 100%. You know, I, you know as a young kid, you know, to be able to offer... Your parents, who who have done everything for you, you know, who have, who have driven you to where you needed to go as a young kid, you know, to football grounds and to, you know, to, when you were playing Sunday boys football, you know, to be able to give them something back, you know, it's, it, of course you would, you, you wouldn't hesitate, you wouldn't hesitate to do that. So it's a clever play, especially for for the younger, you know, the really sort of young players, because like you say, 
I'm kind of out of touch with, with youth football now, but I'd imagine every youth player has an agent. You know, like I say, I never had one as a youth. It was more as time went on with me that I did get, get an agent. Um, but I'd imagine that that would be one of the, the first things young players do now is get them, or, or even agents going in and trying to you know sell themselves to young players. So if you're turning around to a young player and saying, listen, if you come with my if you come with my agency company, we'll give you a hundred grand and we'll give you our parents' house. It's a no-brainer, isn't it? Yeah, it's such a, an incentive. That's it's right. actually going to persuade a young player, really, like, isn't it? Yeah, it's really going to turn a, a young player's head, like, Jesus, if I can get my parents a house here, like, and get, get extra money for my family in the future. Like, yeah. As a young player, you're going to be thinking, yeah. of course I'm going to go. It's, yeah, I mean, it's just like, uh, you know, imagine your boss, imagine you were, uh, you know, it's, uh, any walk of life, you know, if you were an apprentice engineer, if your boss turned around and said to you, by the way, you know, how would you feel if you were able to give your, your mum and dad a house? You know, mm-hmm. like you say, any walk of life, any walk of life, you, you, you would snap that up, you know, to be able to do that for, for, for your parents. So, uh, well, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's the way, that's the way ages so are these days. And like you say, it's be- not a good thing in football. Just before we move on there, uh, myself, uh, Chris and, and Mark, they were talking about the refereeing in, in, in Scotland this year, not just this year, the last couple of seasons. Was the refereeing kind of Paul, back when you were playing, like these decisions being missed, like clear court penalties not being given, and and think, would you be in favour of VAR coming up to Scotland or not not in favour of VAR coming to Scotland? Well, I mean, I, I think you know to answer your first question, I, I think I don't think anything's been blatant as us this season. I, I, and you know something, I'll be perfectly honest, I've never been one to sort of bash referees. I've always looked sort of more in-house, you know, if, if Celtic haven't won a game of football, I've never really been one to, to, to sort of look at the refereeing performance, I've, I've, I've instead tried to sort of look at where the, the team went wrong or, you know, whether it be tactics, but, you know, I think it's difficult to get away from the, the blatant, obvious decisions that have, you know, got the other side, the team for the other side, the city, you know, for them to have gone a whole season without sending off, without a penalty awarded, I don't think that's ever happened in any season. But, you know, probably to contradict it, I'm not a big fan of our... I, 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 I personally wouldn't like to see it coming into Scotland. Uh, you know, these these marginal offside decisions... Yeah, we talked about that last week. It just does my head in, you know... You're talking millimetres, you know, to, to see that. But listen, I think it's positive for certain aspects of the game. You know, so things like maybe a penalty being awarded or not. Yeah, I like that idea. Has the ball crossed the line or not? Yeah, I like that. But to bring it in for, you know, uh, offside decisions. And I've read recently they're looking at, you know, corners and throw-ins. I mean, yeah. games are going to end up... If oh, the legs come up, up know, off the floor, I heard that as well, Barry. Yeah, if the legs come up off the floor. Games are going to end up lasting two and three hours now if you're going to go to VAR for a corner or a throw-in. Uh, so, so, yeah, I mean, personally, I wouldn't like to see it in, in Scotland. Uh, and I know that probably goes against what I'm saying with regards to, you know, the multiple decisions that have gone in favour uh, of Rangers this season. But, uh, no, no, you know what, not not for me. I think it would be welcome in Scotland if it was run right. See if it was mm-hmm. a referee, you know, the, the pitch side and looking, the referee's looking back on a monitor to make the decision. That's how it was intended to be. 
I just hope we don't get uh, Mike uh, Dean and uh, the fellow Bobby Mandy uh, doing the, the fire. <laughs> we, we, uh, we, uh, <coughs> if you're passing it up to people sitting up my office somewhere, he goes on every single angle. Yet. That wasn't yeah. the way that FIFA tried to bring VAR in. If you remember back to the World Cup in Russia, the referee went over and looked at the monitor. He watched it again for all the different angles available. I mean, it was his, his, still his decision, although mm-hmm. he's seen it for every angle. Because all it takes, again, is see if we bring it in up here the way the English are using it. It's just backing up the dodgy decisions. The referees, or we've looked at it, or the referees said that, and the VAR decisions backed him up. Mm-hmm. There's, yeah. all, there's always yeah. something there that can be interfered with. He just wants to see something again. I don't see anything wrong with that. What I kind of saw in, it, though, in, in, the, in the Premier League, like, is that no one kind of contradicts the other. You mean if the ref made a decision, VAR are going to review that, they're more likely go to the ref. And then it's, it's the exact same wrong. Then if VAR reviewing decision, the referee will actually go the same as VAR. Like, there's no one like said, no, I got that wrong. But you it's, know, it's, you know, VAR's overruling the referee. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The referee just say, look, I didn't see that clear. I'm going to go here mm-hmm. and look at it for a different angle and then I'll decide. Yeah, yeah, and even like a celebration, like so the game is that the referee's decision is final. Exactly. And it's no exactly. Make the decision. I mean, I think you know. Not that I really want to speak about other sports, but when you look, other sports get it right. You know, other sports the can rugby, use this technology. Look at the rugby. Yeah. You know, rugby, tennis, things like that, and it takes seconds. You know, it takes seconds for them to either have a look at the thing on the screen. But I don't know for some reason in football. It's taken, you know, three or four, five, six, seven angles, you know, yeah. multiple minutes for it. And, and the thing is, sometimes they still get the decisions wrong. But I take on board what you're saying, Mark. You know, if it, if it was used correctly for certain things, you know, for the referee to just, you know, if he's made a mistake, somebody's here, look, go and have a, come and have a look at this. Or like you say, you know, actually, I didn't have a good angle at that. Let me go and have a quick look at the screen and I'll make my decision from there. Yeah, I can get that. I can get on board with that. But the way it is just now, you know, with every offside decision yeah. and, and these lines being drawn across the pitch. And it's Ridiculous. still, for me, it's still not crystal clear whether a guy is offside or onside, even with these lines. Yeah. I just think to myself, it, 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 it's, it's, I don't want to say killing the game, but it's making it less enjoyable for, for me for it yeah. to be stopping and checking. Uh, sitting in the stadium waiting to see whether allowed to celebrate a goal. Yeah, I exactly. I know. It's just, it's just it's taking the whole... Um, Spuds from the team who actually scored the goal, like yeah, taking away the atmosphere really after just scoring the goal, like 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 you see the team celebrating first when they score a goal, and and they're all the team hugging each other and things like that, and then it comes up there like like any goal now seems to be viewed by VAR, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Any goal, and like the, when the VAR decision is given, then like all it is like a tap in the hand or a handshake, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The, the atmosphere is just taken away from the goal, uh, you know. Yeah. Well, you look at you look at David Marshall. For the penalty save was against Serbia, was it? You know, mm-hmm. to get to Scotland to a major tournament, he, he didn't feel like he was, he could go and actually celebrate making a save until he got the nod for the referee. Yeah, you know, exactly. and that, that that was down to VAR, wasn't it? Yeah. Guys, I, I'll just I'll just jump in the, jump in there. Sorry, just nipping over to the live chat there. I see there was a wee question that popped up uh, from uh, David Gallagher. Uh, Barry, who was the best player you ever played against? Against, well, you know, obviously, probably slightly biased in it, but, you know, one of my heroes growing up was, was Henrik Larsson. Uh, mm. and, and as a result, I, I would say him. 
Um, I mean, but obviously, like I say, I've played against quite a lot of decent players in my time. Even in, in the years and under 21s, you know, you still got to, you know, play against good opposition, you know, and especially in the 21 game. Like, I played against, uh, well, Frank De Boer, I played against him in a game against Rangers, who so was obviously a good player. Um, you know, was was fortunate enough to play. You know, well, no, I didn't actually play with Claudio Canigia, but you know, I, I was at the club when when he was there. I was a youth at the time, but uh, out and out best player would be Henrik. You know, like I say, a hero of mine growing up. So mm-hmm. to actually get an opportunity to yeah. play against him, yeah, uh, that 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 would be who my answer is. Well, if we're going to ask who's the best player you played against, we'll have to ask you the question: Who's the best player you ever played with? Ever played with? Um, what, what probably ability-wise, uh, I don't actually know. If you, you guys might know him. There's a guy who had a, a midfielder at Dundee at the time, a guy, a Georgian Nimzadze. Oh yes, a, yes. A Georgian midfielder. Uh, he had bundles of ability. He was a, a real top mm-hmm. top midfielder. Uh, interestingly enough, he was actually close to a move to Celtic when he was at Dundee. There mm-hmm. was a, a deal on the table for him to go to Celtic um, the year that uh, they reached Seville. Uh, I think it was actually down, uh, not qualifying for the Champions League uh, was the, the the reason the deal fell through. Uh, yeah. But he, uh, like I said, I don't know how much you guys know about him, but he was a real top midfielder. Same as bundles of ability, Georgian International. Yeah, uh, he, he, he was, was a wee ball. He was a wee ball guy, wasn't he? Uh, no, that that was Kit Spire. That was Kit Spire. Oh, sorry, right? Yes, that was Kit Spire. Right. Okay. I, I did. I played with Tamuri as well. He was in that Dundee team as well. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, uh, Georgian Mzadji, he, he was a right good player. Yeah, I, I see. There, Steph Boy has put up on 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 the live chat as well. I fear we Dembele will head the same way as Farouz. What do you think yourself on that, Barry? Well, you, you know something. He's never had an opportunity, has he? You know, he made his debut, I think it was against Hearts. I was actually at the game, the game against yeah. Hearts, he came in and he really sort of... Oh, he was, he, was, he was terrific, wasn't he? he? He was fantastic, you know, but, you know, he's made, I don't know, maybe two or three, I think he's probably, he's a count on one hand the amount of PMs he's, he's made. Nice. And, and like any young footballer, if you're not getting the opportunity, all you want to do as a kid, when you're a, you want to play, you want to get minutes. So, yeah. you know, I think he's out of contract in the summer, isn't he? So it might be that, we, unfortunately, he does move on. However, if there's an opportunity that, you know, we, we can sign him on a long, uh, a longer contract, I'd love to get, a, you know, to get, get, get him playing minutes, you know, whether that be he has to go out on loan or, you know, see what he can do. But like that, if players aren't playing, they're not going to want to hang around for too long. Yeah, exactly. So... Uh, Barry, from for myself, it's uh, thanks very much for coming on the show. We, you'll stay in the line with us because we're going to have some live chat comms. You know, but for myself, uh, thanks very much for, for coming on and no. speaking with us tonight. You know, it's been a, it's oh, been pleasure, a pleasure for me. Pleasure, you know, pleasure, guys. And listen, I want to obviously a big thank you, Paul, to yourself, to Chris, and to Mark for obviously putting this up on a platform. You know, uh, obviously I appreciate the, the 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 hard work and the time that is for you guys to get involved in this. Uh, it's great for us as posters and for fans to, to be involved and to be able to listen to these podcasts. Mabel, I've got two questions for you, Bart. Yeah. JFP wants to know where you're from and if you can say steak pie in Ingen. 
<laughs> he's right. So yeah, I'm from. I don't know. Uh, it does. It does. So uh, if, 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 if he's on the line, I'm from Dundee, and it's steak pear and onion. Right. There you go. <laughs> One last question. Good to ask you. Have you ever seen Bendy Water? <laughs> you know, something I, I feel like my head is a bit like Lee Griffiths is trying to get my head around the Bendy Water question. <laughs> that was my Can't... question. <laughs> so Barry, got... thanks very much for joining us, Barry. Yeah. If you want to stay on the line, we'll take some questions for live chat. Yeah, yeah, no worries, mate. No worries. Happy to stay on, guys. Mark, do you want to give a few details of stuff there? Uh, I want just Rob Roy for the forum. He's donated. Well, he's going to donate a £50 Amazon gift card we'll run a wee competition at the weekend of the cup game it'll just be I found a, pro, found a program it's like Wheel of Fortune you'll answer a question just to and then spin it live on the stream winner will be you'll see it there'll be no the stream will, you'll see what's happening on it and I've just had an email for Steph Boy to pass on a message to Ben it's to stay strong, keep his chin up, and you have to stop eating all the good sweeties. And just to tell you, <laughs> your dad loves you and he's so proud of you, wee man. Hail, hail. Well, God bless you, wee man. So, lads, if, again, as we said, if you've any questions for, for Barry, just add them to the live chat, and myself, Chris, and Mark will read them out. So, we've one here from Rob McNair. What is. What about the Scottish Fair affair pointing a Hearts fan to ref their last game of the season in 1986? Well, that's, that's going back way, way beyond my time now, so I think that's, uh, that's a bit too far away for anyone to remember there, Rob. So kind of showing your age a bit there, I think. <coughs> I think Rob has quite a few what-ifs and what-abouts there, especially the one, what about the ref giving Jorge Cadetti offside when he was in his own half? <laughs> <laughs> We can we can remember games, but we can't remember kind of details like that, you know. So, um, that's there are Celtic fans and their likes that they remember every detail of every. Yeah. It just shows you, it just shows you the way people feel about the club. I mean, people hear mm-hmm. about things that I should remember at games I was at, but I just don't remember every single pass and free kick decision that went against me mm-hmm. over the year. Well, the last the last game in 1986 ended in glory for Celtic. So, uh, with regards to referee, you know that 86 that was when we won the game. When it won the league at St Mum and Hearts lost to Dundee, that was the last game in 1986. So, say that again. You were playing that 1986. I was five year old. (laughs) (laughs) One thing I can kind of understand about uh, the Scottish referee is that. It's, it seems to be the same refs all the time refing the Celtic and Rangers matches. It's either Beeson, Madden, uh, Willie Gollum. It's the same referees. There's, 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 yeah, there's, like, there's no... Because you're Dallas to the top. They're meant to be the top referees. Mm-hmm. Whether, well, whether we agree with that, that's debatable. But just putting, oh, this is your top man. We'll put him in charge of your top game. Because the world's watching... Yeah, I yeah. Think, you know, some I think see the level of performances from referees, and uh, there doesn't seem to be any repercussions. You know, some some of the games and some of the you, you don't want to say cheat and you really, like I say, I, I don't I don't want to home in on referees, but some of the performance, some of the things that are missed, like you know, beating be at Ibrox a couple of years, but he could have sent off Morelos four times. 
But exactly. There's no, there's no, there's no punishment. But you know, exactly. you because the, are they afraid to to send off these like, these players like Barella because of what Rangers will say about our reporting? Are they afraid of that? You think or? I think these decisions are happening all over Scotland every game. It's just because it's games we pay attention to. We highlight it. It's the actual incompetence. I'm not mm. isn't that a, a biasness to a certain extent? Because if you support mm-hmm. a team, it's ingrained in you. You're going to be biased towards your team, but to me, it's just a general incompetence to the level of effort. Yeah. Well, that I think that you, you, sorry, I, 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 no, I agree. I agree with Matt. I, I, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't want to suggest that you know the referees are pro Rangers anti Celtic. I just think they let the standard, the standard of refereeing is the issue. Right. And if, if you're saying that you know beat on. Uh, not beating, beating, beating Dallas, uh, you know, the, the column. If they're at our best, what does that say about the rest of them? You know, it's the exactly. standard of refereeing. Exactly. Best. You know, exactly. That's that's what I'm saying. Like, if that's the best that Scotland has to offer, what's the other referees like? So if they're, if they're not getting these games, are, are they classified as poor referees? And these lads are, you know, so I've an interest to hear from Terence Case. He says, uh, we're going back to players going out on loan. He said both Iron Christie, Lones, Atkilly and Dons made a huge difference in the developments and came back much better players. So like, my thing is like that if we send out these players on loan and they actually come back better players, is that saying something about our our coaching style as for, for our youth that, that we have to send them out for them on loan to come better players or is that don't because they're playing first team football all the time or well, you, you, I, the whole idea of sending a player out, it's not because you think they're going to get better coaching somewhere else. It's that You're sending them out to get game time. Exactly. Competitive game time at a high level. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, 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 I'd agree. That's exactly what it is. Because, you know, if, I, you know, if guys like Ayer and, and Chris at the time, you know, if they're training with his first team squad Monday to Friday, but they're not, not getting anything at the end of it, you know, there's no game time whatsoever... It's it's going to hold them back, you know. So to go out and and get you know to to, to train Monday, whether it be Kilmarnock, Aberdeen, to train on a Monday and a Friday, and then play the game at the end of it, that that's what football's all about. You know, there's nothing worse like like I say that you know not that I played football for any sort of length of time, but if you're training Monday to Friday, but there's no sort of end end game because at the end of the day. You're there to play football matches. You know that that's the whole that's the whole purpose of being a footballer yeah. is to play football matches. If you take football right back to its grassroots, for most of these young ones, you know they didn't they didn't suddenly become fourteen or fifteen year old and then go to a football club. They grew up playing either in the street or down mm-hmm. the local park or at school, where they were used to playing all the time, and that was what got them. That was probably a big reason why a lot of them fell in love with the game to begin with, and that's what made them want to pursue a career. Is because they were playing football, and then to all yeah. of a sudden go into a club and find that you're training a lot and you're running around a lot, but you only get a very, very occasional game. If you, if you take that child back to ten years of age down the local park, he sees all his mates playing, but he's not allowed to play. Well, he's he's going to go and find something else to do, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. You, uh, you know what, this is probably uh, probably not a popular opinion, but, but see these academies now, guys. I don't know what you guys think about them, but I think to have players, young kids at six-year-old in a football academy, I just don't see 
I, I don't see how that's a positive thing, to be honest. There's there's kids at seven, eight, being told they're not good enough. Yeah, and yeah, and that's going to that's going to kill a, a young child constantly straight away. Then, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Are the kids no. six and seven being told that they're going to be the next Messi or Larson? Yeah, you know something, guys. I don't even know if I was playing football at that age. I don't even know if I'd start. I don't think no. I started playing football. But like I, I've witnessed that firsthand. You know, you know, social media appearing uh, on social media saying to their kids, you know. Uh, Soncho's in tears. He's been told by this club that you know he's not quite good enough to make it. As a player, as a young lad at seven year old, is told, "Sorry, son, you're not good enough." He's not going to want to play football again. No, exactly. He's exactly. going to go into a shell. He's going to find something else to do. But I don't know. I, I you know, I was, I was, I played football with my pals till I was fourteen, fifteen, sixteen year old. I was picked up by Dundee when I was sixteen year old, and that was all from playing football with my pals and playing on a Sunday. You know, you're a lot more relaxed, whereas, you know, don't get me wrong, you know, in these academies, I'm sure that there's good coaches and they're getting taught good things, but there's also a, a big sort of pressure on them to deliver at that age. You know, and who spotted you then, Barry? Who spotted you back well, then? You said you played soccer with your friends. Was that with the local yeah. soccer team that you had? With it was, it was, uh, I played for Dundee Celtic Boys, and, and it was a local scout, that, and that's the way it used to happen. The scouts would would come come up to to the games and uh, they would sort of uh, maybe not even go and watch a specific player. They'd go and watch the game, and if there was a player they felt stood out or a player they thought they'd maybe go and monitor them two or three times, and if they felt actually, you know what, I think this guy would be good to come in uh, and train with with Dundee or or Dundee United or whoever it may be. That's the way it works. Now, listen, times times have moved on. I think since since they're kind of starting to play now, they're looking at. Your stats, like your passing, your running, your balls, because they're looking at all that even between you even get to the picture, even have a look at you. Don't well, you know, reading up these all these stats about you before you, they even you see you. You know really something, either. Paul. There's there's data on everything now, isn't there? There's yeah. data on how much ground you've covered, what your heart rate is, how many passes, where your uh, you know your heat maps are. It's you know it's sports science. That that's where we are in the modern day game. But you know I I don't know you know. To, to turn round and, and say a child is not good enough or they're not going to make it at a young age, you know, it, it, it is what it is. It's, it's the modern day game. But Just going on there about, uh, about, 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 about sports science and all that kind of side of it, like, you know, like, like our sports science was top notch. And you could say it was it was top notch under Ronnie Dyler as well and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and Brendan Rogers. Uh, where did it fall between then in, in that category, do you think? You know what? Without knowing, without knowing the ins and outs are are being at Celtic Park, but again, I don't I don't want to bash Neil Lennon, but I think I think probably the players got off a lot more under Lennon in terms of maybe their diets, maybe their drinking yeah. habits. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, I think Dial was a stick. He maybe ignored the results of the beep, the beep test, they call it, and that. Into Jackie Lennon, maybe ignored him. You know something, Mark? I don't know if, if Lennon was really big on it. You, you know what I mean? I, I don't know if he, he he was really big on the sports science thing. You know, like I say, on, on the wrong so he might he might very well have ignored that. And, and like I say, he knew, sort of t- touched on it earlier, he, he played pretty much the same players all the time, whether they were performing or not. You know, but, you know... The results Christie was putting in, he was starting on Saturday. I just say, I, 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 
Absolutely, Mark. And you know what? I, I'm one of his biggest fans. I love Callum McGregor. But I don't think anybody could turn in and say he's had a good season this year. So it might have been that he should have maybe had a wee stint on the sidelines and, and give somebody else an opportunity. Just even like Callum McGregor, I know we, we, we said for him, like he's gone on now and at the end of the season, he's probably going to play every game now and every cup game to the end of the season. He's about two weeks before he goes off to the European Championships and then it's three mm-hmm. weeks then since we're going to play our first qualifiers for the for the Champions League. That's no rest for a professional footballer to be... To nah, be you know what, Buzz would probably be a better one than me for this, but I'm sure, was it last season or season before, he played more minutes than any other player in European football, Callum McGregor. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. You know, to, to, any other any other player in any European league, Callum McGregor had played more minutes than anybody. Now, that's bound to have an effect on you. Before that? I, I think Tierney, Tierney had yeah, yeah. something to do with consecutive games or something as well. Tierney had played uh, more consecutive games th- than anybody. But, you know, I, I, I don't know in terms of, you know, Neil Lennon, but I, I just have a, have a you know, I get, it's all rumours, guys, but, you know, there's part of the drinking culture, you know, when he came back in and, you know, diets and stuff went out the window. We don't know if that's played a part or not. We don't even know if that's true, but certainly... I think maybe the, the professional standards that, that Rogers had set up, they, they probably slipped down a wee bit. I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't say that maybe diets went out the window, but I think a lot of that was ignored. Kind of more yeah. relaxed, I think. It was more relaxed on it, yeah. It was mm-hmm. more advice. Peer, this mm-hmm. you eat this severe advice, you do that rather than just, this is what you're doing. Stop what you've done under Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's more meticulous under him, certainly, wasn't it? Just the standards that people are used to. But Eddie, mm-hmm. Eddie Howe bring his standards back with Roy Keane. Mm-hmm. I, I would probably say they both would, perfectly honest with you. Uh, I think, you know, you know, I had a conversation with Paul yesterday about, you know, there's probably been 40 to 50 managers linked with the club. And I think every single one has a... a list of pros and a list of, of cons, didn't they? And, and, you know, I know Roy Keane, I would say, if a small minority would be in favour of him getting the job. I wouldn't be dead against it, if I'm honest, because I think he does bring a certain, you know, standard, you know. I don't think he would accept the level of performances that Celtic were, were showing this season. Uh, and, you know, I, I think in terms of professionalism, I think he, he might have raised the bar for that, but Obviously, there there is the 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 fact that he, he might be a bit of old school manager, you know, the screaming in the face type thing. We just don't know. We, we don't know who the manager's going to be, but you know, whoever it is, you'll get the backing and the support. There's no doubt about that. Exactly, Larry. We're going to call the short to a halt uh, again. Thanks very much for coming on. I, for myself, I really appreciate it. Mark, Betsy, over to yourselves. Yeah, well, look, Barry. As far as I'm concerned, you know, it's just fantastic. You know, listen, I listen. I I could have died and went to heaven. You know, as soon as I asked, as soon as you answered my questions there. Uh, but I have to say, Barry, you know, what is refreshing is the fact that you're so content and so comfortable with talking about your career and there's no doubt you're you know the fact that you did play at the pro level shows that you do have a level of insight that most fans don't actually have you know most fans want to just bounce things off each other and say uh, you know and criticize people and whatever but you have the most wonderful level-headed insight into the game and i think you've made our evening show all the better for it so it's absolutely 
a massive thank you from me, Barry. And uh, I hope you'll not be a stranger. I hope you'll be on again sometime soon. Oh, no, listen, guys, really appreciate it. You know, obviously, I, I don't know, Mark, you know, I was saying to Paul, I, I, I'm sure that I, I've been posting on here for about 10 years. I don't know how long it's been running the show, but, you know, I, I, I love the forum. You know, I'm, I'm on it every day, just as like most people are. And, you know, it's an absolute pleasure to come on and, and have a chat with you guys. And like you say, hopefully there'll be more more posters come on and, and have a blether. But, you know, if ever, you know, you, you need, you're needing guys or you're short a number, I'd be happy to come on and have another chat and speak about Celtic, you know, the love for Celtic that we we'll all share. Well, you've certainly, you've certainly been a star this evening, without a doubt. Thank you. Appreciate it, buddy. Thanks very much, but uh, Barry, I can just echo what Paul and Chris have said. You've been fantastic on here tonight, and you're welcome back on any time. Uh, I can remember you posting for as long as I've been on the site as well. So it will be about 10, 11 years now. Yeah, yeah, it's that, it's that long now. But as I said, just thanks very much for coming on and sharing your stories and your experiences with us tonight. Just like to thank everybody that's tuned in. Uh, all the subscribers again, if you have not subscribed, please hit the subscribe button. Thanks very much for joining us and hopefully be maybe tomorrow I'll have Spotify up and running. So it'll be audio available. Uh, good night lads, God bless and I'll be another shout out to wee Ben. Hail hail wee man. Good night. Yeah, Cheers, thanks guys. everyone. Thank thanks everyone for listening in this evening, and it's really appreciated. Please make sure that you come back the next time as well, and keep posting on the forum as well, and uh, we'll catch up with you. You never know; the next time we might have something to be happy about. So, we'll speak soon. This episode of the Boz and Bovo podcast was originally broadcast on the Celtic Rumours TV YouTube channel.